Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today I am once again in the beautiful Spurgeon Library studio with my colleague and friend, Ronnie Kurtz. Ronnie, how are you doing, brother? Doing well, can't complain. How about you? I'm doing all right. We have this new soundboard that we have to push the buttons for. Not only are we talking heads, and but I don't we can know push buttons. Matt, Matt, who typically runs our recordings, he, he's working himself out of a job, Matt, is what you're doing, basically. <laughs> You want to get paid to do nothing, which is the dream. That's right. Um, but what's terrible is now, like, I am so paranoid about, because there's 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 not that many buttons on this thing. Enough to mess things but up. But there's enough, and they're flashing. It's like a panel. It's like Star Wars or something, <laughs> and I'm just afraid. What's helpful is the record button is literally a big square that says REC on it. So, like, you can't mess that up. <laughs> Press this Challenge and, start, and start going. <laughs> yeah, but then there's this whole series of buttons. There's blue ones and green ones and red ones. Jared, I know for a fact that one of those buttons makes an audience applaud. Does it really? What Do you, do you know which one? Can I just start pressing buttons wait, while wait, it do I things? I think it's the this one. Press it. See what happens. It didn't do anything. It wasn't that one, It wasn't Jared. that one. It probably that delete, deletes the whole database of podcasts. <laughs> That's why they need labels. Can I just press them? Will it do something? That didn't do anything. I get to have the fader up. See, this is the thing. Like you can't oh, hand me. Fader. Yeah, like make it make it make it applause. Hey, the space shuttle's real easy to fly. You just you just press a button. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, yeah. So I'm a little I'm a little nervous about that. Uh, I'm looking at your bottle of water. It looks cloudy. Like you, you've got. It looks like what Tom Brady drinks on the sidelines. This is Michael's secret stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clear plastic water bottle, but there's like a cloudy mixture in it. Like it's human growth hormone or no something. No questions. No questions about it. Yeah. So you're taking something for you know just for your muscle mass and all those sorts of things. That's something that I definitely have. Yeah, you're enhancing your person, <laughs> there you go. which is what we're talking about today, actually. You like that transition? You're, that you're was nice. Genius. I need the applause button. <laughs> I need the applause button. Uh, that's exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, essentially, legalistic about gospel centrality, um, how how that happens. Does it happen? First of all, I think that it does, and it's it's somewhat of an ironic, counterintuitive phrase that someone could be legalistic about gospel centrality. Um, I'll tell you a story, how I knew... Um, that I was slipping into that or could easily slip into that. So I was in the middle of preaching, actually. So I'm preaching a sermon, and, of course, my whole deal is that the way people change, um, the way we should do church, the way we should do preaching, that our whole life should be centered on the gospel. That's sort of the principle of gospel centrality, that people change by seeing the glory of Christ. Um, But what I was doing in the middle of the sermon was essentially loading a bunch of imperatives about gospel centrality, so Mm -hmm. commanding people— in so many ways, center on the gospel. Hey, you know, you jerks who don't know Jesus, you need to center on the gospel, and um, you know, you need to orient, you know, orient yourself around the gospel. And I was just going through this litany of impassioned. It didn't sound as mean or terse as I just, you know, recreated on the podcast. Um, I was, I was trying to sound pastoral, but it was all just a, a list of imperatives about being gospel centered. Now. Biblically, those exist. <laughs> we are called to, um, in a sense, even obey the gospel. That phrase is actually um, uh, even in the scriptures. And yet this uh, this missile, this quote came into my brain like a missile um, from Martin Luther, um, that, which is essentially this. It's the supreme art of the devil to turn the gospel into law. And I realized, like that quote, I, it, it had to have been the Holy Spirit sort of you know, bringing that to my memory as I'm preaching. 
Um, you know, as you preach regularly that you know, sometimes you're thinking of things while you're speaking things and you just end up multitasking. This, the thought came into my brain, I'm being legalistic about gospel centrality. Instead of just telling people, be gospel-centered, I needed to more so hold up the glory of Christ in some way, um, you know, do an exposition on the glory of Christ in some way, show them Jesus that they might behold his glory and be changed by mm-hmm. it. So you have to do both. You have to show and tell. But I was doing a whole lot of telling and not a lot of showing. And that was really kind of a pinnacle reminder for me that I can be legalistic about gospel centrality. What are wow. some other ways you think? I mean, if you think that's a thing, what are some things, uh, you know, some other ways that people might be legalistic about gospel centrality? Yeah, I think it is a thing. And, um, man, that quote really is – that's dynamite. Right? Yeah. That's so good. I think another way that people can be legalistic about gospel centrality is – when they think of gospel centrality as a tribe, mm. uh, it's a it's a tribe that you belong to rather than a, a reality to be lived. And you, you, I think you can see that a lot on social media of you know getting on uh, this brother or that sister for you know doing this thing with someone who's not in the, the tribe. Uh, and yeah. I, I think that's a real problem. Mm. And if if gos- if all gospel centrality is is an entrance a doorway into a group of people that sound alike and look alike and think alike, then it's not actually going to be that helpful to any of us. Uh, if it becomes kind of um, a way of cruciforming our flesh and uh, living in the freedom and grace of the gospel, that's when it's that's useful to all of us. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the people that give off the the feel of being gospel-centered, if I can use that phrase, that I think of in my life, um, that, you know, they're Orthodox believers, so it's not about, you know, being squishy in their in their theology. And yet th- those who sort of exude the warmth of Christ, the rest of Christ, um, I, I experience a kind of, um, you know, the commendation of, of grace being in proximity to them. One thing I notice about them is they don't spend a whole lot of time criticizing Others. That's right. And they seem to have friends from across tribal spectrum. Um, that's, I think that's notable. Mm. That's interesting. And it doesn't mean that they agree with every single person on every single issue, yet they seem more at ease with themselves, less interested in making sure everyone agrees with them. And yet, knowing th- these folks, I know that if this is not because of some sort of amorphous spirituality or anything like that. Of course, yeah. And I just think I want to be like that. Mm. I want people to feel um, a kind of rest around me. I want them to feel at ease around me and not that I'm always kind of measuring them up or sizing them up or trying to see do they do I fit in their tribe or they mm. fit in mine. Can we get along because we have different views on this or that or the other thing? Yeah, I felt it even in myself multiple times where I, I have found myself more concerned with the material that people are reading mm. than how satisfied they are in Jesus. Mm. And that's just not okay, yeah. you know, for myself or for anybody else. Uh, our greatest concern should be how much or how little someone treasures Jesus yeah. and how much he really is the the supreme being in their life, uh, the, the supreme value of their life. And mm. and not if they're listening to the right podcasts. Uh, they don't even have to listen to this one, Jared. Oh, uh, I know that's surprising. But yeah. but not that they're listening to the right podcasts or reading the right books or going to the right conferences, but that they treasure uh, Jesus and His gospel and His in His church. Yeah. So how would we know um, if if I'm a pastor or ministry leader 
what are some ways that I might know um, other than sort of measuring people against what tribe they fall into or what kind of allegiance they appear to have at least? Um, what are some other ways that I might know that I'm being legalistic about gospel centrality? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I'm actually going to flip it back back to you <laughs> okay. if, if I can do that. Okay. Um, we we recently were – you recently, Jared, were talking to the residential students here at Midwestern Seminary, the residential PhD students uh, of which I'm a part of that group. And so I was able to kind of sit in and you – one particular student uh, asked a really good question kind of in this vein – and and you, I thought you hit hit it out of the park. And so I'm I'm just going to set you back up okay. uh, with, with with kind of the same question that you just asked me in another way that that people can know that they are uh, more concerned about tribalism, about you know being legalistic, about gospel centeredness. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to echo your echo and flip it back to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's just keep doing this. <laughs> I'm just going to put a twist on it and send it on right on back over the table. Uh, no, so I think it happens when pastors are more gospel-centered in principle or paradigm than they are in person. Mm. And I think that's what, how I responded. Uh, I, I remember thinking along those lines when I answered the question. I don't actually remember the specific question, but it was something like that. Um, I think it was akin to the frustration, the very natural and understandable frustration that gospel-centered pastors have about their people not getting it. Yeah, um, it. I've, I've been you know preaching Christ-centered sermons. We've been singing Christ-exalting songs. I'm picking different curriculum. Um, we're going through the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're going through the Gospel Project. We're doing all the gospel-centered stuff, mm. gospel-centered with the little TM. You know, we've, we've bought in programmatically to the paradigm, and yet my people aren't turning the corner to actually become gospel-centered. There's a danger in that, and again, it's almost like the, you know, the Martin Luther quote, it's the supreme art of the devil turned gospel into law. That we want people to get with the program, yeah, and we forget that the way people come to you know gospel centrality, an embrace of the grace of Christ as the center of all things, the fountain and the fuel for their life, the the way they get to that is not by being leveraged or sort of plugged into a particular program. Th- that can be the means by which certain things happen, but just because you've got a curriculum choice made and a you know a, a new preaching style doesn't mean people are going to automatically come to this moment of like gospel wakefulness, right. right? So I think a lot of it is guys ha- needing to uh, do the personal math, which is how did you come to this conviction? Mm-hmm. And if it was purely a paradigm or a principle transition, um, you've got some deeper soul searching to do That's right. because it, it's somewhat parallel to the conversation about gospel-centered tribalism which is we see gospel centrality as just the newest thing. It's just the way to do church now. And we haven't actually, we don't personally even have that conviction. We just know the language and we know which resources to get and all the the tribe we run in does this thing, but we ourselves aren't there. And consequently, we don't have a measure of grace for those who are around Mm -hmm. us. So we're gospel centered in principle, but not in person. And, you know, just think about yourself. For those of you who who have gotten there, what what did, did it take to get you there? You know, there, it likely wasn't because someone was twisting your arm or um, you know leveraging you into a particular viewpoint. Um, they might have lent you a book or taken you to a conference, you know, conference or recommended you know a podcast. But generally, you came through the disposition of the Holy Spirit at That's an appointed right. time, 
and it'll be the same way for your people. So, um, and that's just true in general for preaching. I mean, I think those who preach regularly um, just come into that frustration that you know people forget what we what we said by yeah. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, we really are relying so much on the Holy Spirit to do the work of spiritual growth in the lives of people. And we can kind of uh, you know arrange the trellis in certain ways, but the whole, you know the Lord's got to grow that vine mm. um, for us. So I think that's one way that it happens is we just we're expecting people to turn a corner that they haven't yet, and we're not patient with them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think there's some more to say about this, in particular, some ways that we might work against. How do we make sure that we're not legalistic about gospel centrality? And we'll talk about that right after our break. Um, so go ahead and grab a cup of coffee. And let's hear a word from our host at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu mdiv today. We're back speaking with Ronnie Kurtz. As usual, and we're talking about a very unusual subject, something that a lot of people don't think about, I don't think, um, because they seem somewhat counterintuitive or that they shouldn't go together, and they shouldn't, and yet it's very often the case that we become uh, legalistic about gospel centrality. So we've talked about some ways that might happen, some ways you might know that you're engaging in that. I think other ways may just be that you're loading up on imperatives about the subject. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all sorts of different probably diagnostic questions. But how do we get out of it? What would you say are some ways that we might work towards becoming truly gospel-centered? That's not, good. not just gospel-centered in paradigm, but also in person. Yeah, Jared, something that you have said a number of times is that often what you win people with, you win them to. And yeah. I think that's a really important phrase for this particular conversation because if you win them, if you win people to gospel centrality via fear or shame mm. or heavy dose of imperatives or something like this, you know, you, you kind of belittle them uh, into gospel centrality, which is so counterintuitive. But, but I see uh, efforts in that, in that manner. You're likely going to win them into a gospel centrality that's belittling or fearful or shame riddled, and, and those that isn't the gospel. Yeah. And so I think the way that we move out then to answer your question uh, directly is is to stop using those kinds of methods and to use the method of simply inviting those people who are listening to us to behold Jesus. And as as we behold Jesus, we will become gospel centered. And so. You, you don't have to have them, again, going back to what we said before, you don't have to have them reading the, the exact right things or saying the right verbiage. Uh, they have to be beholding Jesus. And the more they behold the crucified and risen Messiah, the more they will start to look like the crucified and risen Messiah. And the more their intuitions and feelings and thoughts and what have you will be uh, crucified and resurrected and begin to smell like, sound like, think like, look like. The gospel, and so I think sim the, the simple ingredient is is beholding Jesus. 
Yeah, you know, one way we kind of run off the rails that's so insidious and very subtle is in measuring people and measuring their gospel centrality. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it probably doesn't dawn on us um, automatically or, or at the time, but there's very little that's less gospel-centered than measuring people's gospel centrality. <laughs> I don't think you're gospel-centered enough. Well, just that idea is itself not very gospel-centered if you're yeah. constantly measuring people. So there's something about um, not constantly, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about, you know, always sort of measuring your congregation or taking their spiritual pulse. Um, you know, good pastors— um, you know, see deficiencies in their in their church culture, and they want their church to be healthier, and those sorts of things. And yet, if you're dwelling on those, if you're constantly measuring the church that you have, if you're constantly, you know, uh, discontent about their level of gospel centrality, um, measured by who knows what, there's you know, interest in particular authors or the kind of language they use or whatever it is. If you're constantly dwelling on those things, you yourself are not being very gospel centered. That's right. Um, because you're sizing them up, and you know you can't size somebody up and love them at the same time. You can't, uh, you know, constantly be comparing um, somebody against the best version of them that you think they ought to be. And mm-hmm. and you know, the flip side is we wouldn't want that either. We wouldn't feel like someone who treated us that way was being very gospel centered, would we? It would feel yeah. very legal. It would feel very legalistic for them to do that. So setting aside the very natural and okay way that pastors um, ascertain sin in their congregations or need to, um, you know, do the very informal uh, work of, of discipling and church discipline, um, those sorts of things. Um, just a constant dwelling on how your yeah. church doesn't satisfy your desire for a gospel-centered congregation, that in and of itself, I think, Absolutely. Um, you know, focusing on Christ more than your church, seeing your church through the eyes of Christ, mm-hmm. I think. And I just think to kind of get out of the the measurement mode, um, what sort of gospel-centered literature you spend most of your time in, is it actually helping you become personally uh, in communion with Christ more and more? Or is it simply a means of um, disgruntlement with those who aren't quite there yet? That's so good. Um, so there's literature that is out there that you know you know sometimes does that. It's one of the things in my book, The Gospel-Driven Church, which is about transitioning a church. And so it's predicated on there is a functional disappointment of some kind or an essential deficiency that you determine. You want to get your church a gospel centrality. And yet, as I um, work through how to lead change, I have a chapter called Leading Change in a Gracious Way. And I'm trying to constantly combat against the guy who's just pushing his congregation up this hill. And we're going to be gospel-centered, you know, you know, dadgummit, we're going to get there. <laughs> and they end up not being very gracious with their congregation, not yeah. very patient, not very kind, not very gentle, because they're trying to achieve this paradigm that um, that none of us will, you know, be perfect at this side mm-hmm. of heaven anyway. Yeah, that, that's so good. And two things came to mind as you were talking, Jared, one of which is if, if a pastor wants to self-diagnose, am I doing this? I think a helpful question to ask is, am I talking more about this idea or this tribe than I am Jesus? Mm. Uh, because if you're if your conversations and your preaching and your words are more focused on the tribe than the Christ of the tribe, yeah. then I think we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, and and the tribe the tribe thing should be happenstance. We we happen to find ourselves in a quote unquote tribe because we all care about the same thing, which is this particular gorgeous view of Jesus. Yeah. And I don't care if you recognize the tribe or want to talk about the tribe. That's, that's not what I want to do. I want to talk about Jesus. 
And, and, and that's when, if we can get there, that that's a healthy place to be. Uh, I think, I, I think if we, if we begin to kind of circle the wagon and always am looking at the, the tribe, that, that becomes a way to get, to be legalistic about it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just a helpful diagnostic test. Yeah. So, you know, just as a parting thought, pastor, ministry leader, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, um, wherever you find yourself and you find yourself consistently worried or disappointed um, with or about your church and its level of gospel centrality, what I would remind you, first of all, is that's somewhat normal. We we want everyone to be oriented around the finished work of Christ. Mm. Um, so that's a good thing. I'm certainly not you know, advocating that you don't think about that or you don't have a concern about that. But perhaps for every look at your congregation, you take uh, 10 looks at yourself. <laughs> and for every 10 looks at yourself, take 100 looks at Christ. <laughs> Maybe it's a, I think that's a good ratio there. And I'm, I'm plagiarizing uh, uh, Robert Murray Machine um, in, in that sort of mathematics. But, um, yeah, keep your eyes on Christ, and it will help you see yourself in a more humble um, and an honest light, and it will help see your congregation or your class in in uh, a more gentle light as well. And I think just the time that you spend not simply learning about Jesus, but getting to know Jesus through prayer and, and, and meditation on the Word, um, the effect of the Holy Spirit is to make us gospel-centered in person. And that is really where our concern, our emphasis ought, ought to be that we are gospel-centered in person and not purely in in principle or paradigm. Um, it's great if you've adopted um, this movement or the tribe, so to speak, um, but what's much better is that you actually feed on the finished mm. work of Christ and have that as your sole and only hope uh, on a regular basis, whether you can speak all the jargon or not. So on that note, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope that you were blessed by today's episode. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.